Hey everyone, Chris here. Thank you for listening to the show. Before we get into this episode, in which Perry and I discuss the Steven Stoderberg movie, High Flying Bird, I did want to just uh, offer one clarification real quick. Uh, in this episode, Perry and I struggle to come up with the name of the screenwriter of High Flying Bird. Uh, who also wrote Moonlight, which is a wonderful script. And uh, unfortunately, we did not say that author's name uh, during the podcast, and we both felt really bad about that and wanted to make sure he got recognition uh, in this episode somewhere. So up front, I do want to say uh, our apologies to Terrell Alvin McCraney, whose script for High Flying Bird is wonderful. Uh, he, we talk it up and down in this, and uh, he deserves to be mentioned on the podcast. So I just want to get that out of the way. Please enjoy the show. Thank you. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! I'm worried I'm going to wake up your kids every time I do that. You know, and we record... Okay, so we, we record <laughs> in my dining room. And I was a little worried last time we were recording because I'm like, are we right under my kids' rooms? And then I actually realized their room is above our kitchen, not the dining room. Oh, thank goodness. So, thank so goodness. Now I asked my wife, I'm like, did you hear any of that? And she's like, no, no, you guys are fine. Oh, good deal. So, All right, good. So they're good. And they, once they fall asleep, they're good. And, uh, <laughs> So no, 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 we're good. Uh, this is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Barry. My name's Chris Williams. With me is the Fozzie Bear to my Kermit the Frog, Barry <laughs> Seibert. <laughs> Remember that meme on Facebook a few years ago where you're supposed to put the three still pictures of the fictional characters yeah, that yeah. best describe you? <laughs> Mine was uh, Dewey Finn from School of Rock, uh-huh. uh, Fozzie Bear, and Albert Brooks's character from Taxi Driver. I figured those three sort of... <laughs> That was the nexus of Perry. That was the- What's really funny is I did the same thing, and I remember one of them was Kermit the Frog. Yeah, okay. Um, I can't remember who, the, who one of them was. The other one was Adam Goldberg from uh, the Goldbergs. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, my, you literally are the Fozzie to my Kermit then. <laughs> so you can find us, find old episodes. Waka waka. Any epi- anywhere you can get podcasts, you can find our old episodes. We have a Patreon up if you want to throw a few bucks our way. Keep wonderful comic banter like this up. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are going to talk today about Steven Soderbergh's new movie, High Flying Bird, uh, which was released in February on Netflix. Uh, but before we do that, you seen anything good? I tell you what, interesting. I have uh, I I didn't know if I was going to talk about this on the podcast, and I decided to when we decided we we're going to do uh, a Soderbergh film. I have been watching an old TV show. Okay. That I had never gotten around to. That I was very excited when it popped up on Prime a few months ago. And I was like, I've never seen this. I've always wanted to see this. And mm-hmm. I'm um, about six episodes in. Uh, and it's The Prisoner. The famous oh, 60s British yeah, yeah. Uh, pseudo-spy, philosophical, psychological, thriller, comedy, spy story. It's yeah, yeah. fascinating. Uh, it's something that I'm sure, I'm sure Soderbergh has seen and loved. Uh, it's on Prime right now. I had never seen it. I'd heard about it. I've heard how influential it is. And boy, is it. It's an amazing thing to see because the style is so very, that point, 67, mod England, very Euro art film influenced in both the editing style and in some of the camera angles and in a lot of zooms. And yet the material, Chris... They could almost remake those scripts word for word. 
right now and just make a couple of tweaks and it would still play. Like it would play the exact same way. It works okay. so great as this, uh, allegory makes it sound like it has a point. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it all feels so symbolic that you could make it read as anything. And it's really, it, it's so much better than I thought it was going to be. It's so much less dated than I thought it was going to be when I finally got around to it. That's interesting. I wasn't aware that was able to stream anywhere. Uh, that was a show I started getting interested in. I still haven't seen it, but when Lost was up, that was always the show it was compared to, was The Prisoner. Yes. And uh, I, I was a big Lost fan at the time, and it was always a show I thought about tracking down. I never mm-hmm. thought about it showing up on streaming. But It's there. It's on Prime as we speak. I have to check that out. Uh, the thing I saw was also on Prime. It was Shudder through Prime, uh, which Shudder is, of course, the streaming service for horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a documentary uh, called Horror Noir, and it is a documentary about black representation in horror films. Oh! And it is... It's going to be great. Fantastic. It's based on a book. Um, but the movie, the thing that's so much fun about it that keeps it from feeling like, you know, it's homework or anything, the conversations are 90% between directors and actors who were in a lot of these movies. So, you know, people who were the, you know, the black guy to get killed in Friday the 13th, or um, uh, Tony Todd is one of the people profiled. And it really, it goes from early days in film, um, you know, we, you know, with the, uh, the stereotypical, the uh, kind of, it talks about the magical Negro. It goes all the way up through Get Out, which I'm always happy to hear people talk about Get Out <laughs> because I, I adore that movie. Um, it, it's fun. It's loose. It's about 83 minutes. I would have listened to them talk for another hour. Uh, this is a movie I wish had come out when I was taking my film theory class last mm-hmm. year because it is so, it's just so fascinating yeah. to see clips from, you know, uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon and people talking about how, yeah, there's no people of color in these movies, but everyone else is white. So what does that make the monster and, and things like that? It, it really great. And, I highly recommend you seek it out. Um, it's on Shutter. You can get Shutter through Amazon Prime, and it's like five bucks a month, and it's totally worth it because the best thing about this is you leave with a list of movies to watch. Ganja <laughs> and Hess, uh, Candyman, uh, which I have not seen, um, and I'll probably just watch Get Out about four more times. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I would have given that movie six stars if I could have. There you go. <laughs> uh, you but, can, Chris. You can. Not on Letterboxd, I can't. But, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's what we've been watching. Um, but we are talking this week about another thing you can find on streaming, which is Steven Soderbergh's, um, latest, uh, retirement venture, which is, uh, <laughs> High Flying Bird. And Perry, why don't you tell people what this movie's about? High Flying Bird is about 90 minutes long. Sorry, I couldn't resist. <laughs> High Flying Bird is about the, so what, what is going on is there is a lockout in the NBA. And the uh, main character is an agent. He's a sports agent. And he has... One of his clients is the number one draft pick that year in the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. Who, of course, has not gotten to play yet. And has not gotten to be paid. And so the strike has been... The lockout has been going on for 22 weeks, I believe, if I remember correctly. And now the money's starting to dry up for the players. And they're starting to get nervous. And, uh, the, of course, the agency that this, the main character works for, they're not seeing any money come in from him because his players aren't being paid. And so he's starting to get some heavy, heavy flack from work. Mm-hmm. And the movie turns into, for lack of a, uh, a more clear explanation, because I'd like to keep it mysterious, 
it's it's one of Soderbergh's heist movies. It is yes, about absolutely. how this character plays all the sides against each other in order to make this resolve. Um, that said, uh, it is uh, it was written by the guy that wrote that co-wrote Moonlight, your best picture winner from a couple years ago, mm-hmm. who wrote it was. Uh, the, the, that gentleman's play was adapted into Moonlight and he co-wrote the screenplay for Moonlight. He wrote this script and it stars Andre Holland, who was one of the stars of The Nick, the Soderbergh series for uh, Cinemax that got him out of retirement. Also one of the stars of Moonlight. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, and so, and I would like to point out, if you want his take on uh, on his retirement, there is, and this is redundant, an excellent Soderbergh interview uh, from back in January on Deadline. I think it's from January 29th. Look it up. It's a very entertaining interview. It will tell you a lot about this movie uh, that we're talking about. He, uh, the, when he talks about the economics of Hollywood and the film industry right now, it's just great. It's eye opening. If you mm-hmm. followed him when he was trying to launch uh, Lucky. Lucky Logan? Logan yeah, Logan, Logan Lucky. Lucky. Sorry. That was confusing because that year there was a movie called Logan, there was a movie called Lucky, and there was a movie yeah. called Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky uh, was the movie that he tried to distribute and basically advertise on his own. Yeah, it was like advertised through um, Channing Tatum's Instagram. Yes, and yeah. basically he and he talks about this in the interview and says it's yeah, so it good. good. He talks about how, you know, he didn't believe them when the studios told him we have to spend a minimum of $30 million or no one's going to know the movie's mm-hmm. out. And he said... Turns out they're right. We spent twenty million, and we had Channing Tatum go around the country and do these events where you know thousands of people would come out and do something cool with Channing Tatum. And the result of it was, wow, Channing Tatum is really cool. It was not. We should go see that movie. It's, <laughs> I believe the quote in the interview is, "Americans don't believe a movie's worth seeing unless they see an ad for it on TV." <laughs> Which, and he's not saying it cynically. He's not saying that, but yeah. he's just saying that just seems to be truthfully the way it works. That that's how you get that space. Anyway, check out the interview. Um, and yeah, the movie is. I think I'm. I think I'm paraphrasing uh, 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 the New York Times critic when I. He, I think he described it perfectly when he said that there's this, in every scene in this movie, uh, the scene that just follows it makes the previous scene make sense. Yeah, like you don't yeah. know exactly why he's doing what he's doing until the next scene, and you realize, oh, that was setting this up, and then you don't know what's going on right then, mm-hmm. but then you figure it out. It's a really beautifully, elegantly plotted script. Well, it's a great way for uh, for it to convey how that guy is, Andre Holland's character, Ray, is always, he's five steps ahead of everyone else. Yes! And this keeps him five steps ahead of the audience, or one step ahead of that. Yes. I, I thought that was fascinating. Uh, uh, and again, uh, so check it out. It's there. I don't want to say much more. I don't want to give away too much. It's, uh, I, I very much like the film. I think it's a tad overwritten dialogue wise. It's very much feels like a play. And to the point that I think some of it comes off stilted, it it feels like dialogue being spoken. Mm -hmm. It doesn't feel like real speech. And you can get away with that if everything is heightened the exact same way, but some of this isn't. And so I, I was thrown off a couple times, but that's, I'm nitpicking. I'm telling you why I don't think it's, you know, great as opposed to why it's, it's very, very good and very much worth your yeah. time. Uh, and so beautifully plotted, like I said, that I, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's worth checking out. And it's one of the, it's great when Soderbergh does these smaller projects. Mm-hmm. And I only mean that because less money was spent on it. I don't mean it's any less artistically valid. It's just not a, Grand statement out it's of him. It's a scrappy him. movie. It's you know it it fits in with bubble and full mm-hmm. frontal and unsane and it's better than all of those movies. Yeah, you know what's funny is I kind of watched this. It was 
I almost approached it as a taking my vegetables type thing. Like, oh, oh there's a new not 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 what a chance of watching it. I understand. But oh, I should watch this because it's a new Soderbergh movie, and to be honest, I haven't seen anything he's done post-retirement. I haven't seen <laughs> Logan Lucky, um, which has been sitting in my prime queue for a while because it looked like a lot of fun. I just haven't gotten around to that. Unsane did not look like my thing. Um, but honestly, a movie about the politics of basketball was not high on my list of things to watch. And, but it got some good notices, so I thought, oh, I'll watch it. I, I would turn this on at like 10.30 at night on a Friday night, and I was exhausted. And I'm like, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make it through. This movie energized the heck out of me. Oh, good. This, this is a fun movie to watch. Oh, excited um, to hear that. I, I really, I love Andre Holland. Uh, I think he's, he's just so much fun to watch. I love it when there are movies about smart people doing their job. <laughs> like, to, that to me is one of the most fun things to watch. And Soderbergh does that a lot. Yes. If you go back to, I, I think that's part of the fun of Ocean's Eleven is just watching people really good at their job. It, it, watching them kind of pull all that off. And I think what you said, this is, a different kind of heist movie in a way. Um, but it's just, you, even before you realize that, it's just so much fun to watch him, you know, to, wa- to watch the dialogue in this movie, which I do agree. Um, I think in particular, uh, well, first I'll get to that. But I, I think the scenes, especially that opening scene where he's talking with his prospect yeah. about, you know, avoiding the bad loans and things like that. He builds that world, like, right oh, yeah. You know where you're at. You start to get the sense of what this movie's about. But then it flips and you realize it's about something else. And he's, he's got something else in mind. And the movie goes, I, I don't think it ever pursues a lot of the angles it goes through, but it brings up so many fascinating things about race, about capitalism, about sexism, about gender. About, it, it's so much fun. Uh, uh, social media. Social it's got media. good social media stuff in it, too. Yeah, I do want to get to that in a minute. Um, I do think what you said though, it, there are scenes where it, it's a bit talky. Uh, Bill Duke has a role as like the oh. old, the old coach. And I liked watching him talk, but it did feel like the movie kind of stopped so he could explain the history of racism in the sport to you, and then the movie would pick back up. See, I was, I'm, see, that's the one character where that's exactly what that character is constructed to do, so I was good with that. I was actually good with all okay. the Bill Duke stuff. I just mean, truthfully, the dialogue itself, even in that opening scene, it's great, mm-hmm. but it is dialogue. It doesn't, it yeah. doesn't come across, and it doesn't come across as stylized in a way that the whole thing is stylized so that it feels like this world. It feels like you're oh, showing off. Yeah. And in a good way, again, this sounds like I'm, dinging it and mm-hmm. I'm not I, I can't believe I'm talking about what I don't like about this movie and it's not that I don't even don't like it I, this is terrible terrible <laughs> phrasing I'm about to have it's a really good film see it see it it's really smart like you said it is it is it is great to listen to it is great to watch smart people do their job and to speak so articulately yeah <laughs> it, and it is it's a pleasure to hear dialogue that is this obviously uh, all, all, all I can fault it for is you know the writer didn't to use the writing phrase he didn't he didn't kill the babies he, you know, yeah he yeah. didn't kill the darlings sure. he kept all the really good flowery stuff in which is fine and the whole the whole apprehension I had about it being a basketball movie which I like a sports movie but the politics of it didn't you realize very quickly this is not really a movie about basketball this is about you know th- this is about so much yeah. of our culture I think there's a lot of it that is about filmmaking and film promoting that comes up in this. Uh, there, there's a branch of this movie that where they're, they're referencing Netflix, they're referencing Hulu and talking yes. about, you know, they can be used as disruptors. And 
I think that's kind of what Soderbergh's doing here, is kind of feeling that out. And how does this disrupt the whole uh, studio process, which he is very frustrated with. Yeah, even if you don't pay any attention to... Even if the basketball holds no interest for you, and it should, it's and great. It's a great that's that stuff is all great in the movie. And there's but, no basketball in it. But <laughs> smidgen, just yeah, a yeah. just a skosh. There's a there's a fa- you know that's the angle of it that is fascinating to me as a longtime Soderbergh uh, lover. I'll go ahead and just use the word lover. Uh, he his films often tackle capitalism. In a, in really interesting ways and not all, not the same way every time. He doesn't hammer. It's not always a critique. It is a question of, well, where, why is this important to you? And what does it mean to you? And where do you fit in this? Everything from, I mean, that it starts right at the beginning with Sex Lies and Videotape where you have the bad guy's a lawyer <laughs> and the, the, our hero who is emotionally damaged beyond belief lives off the grid. He's got, an income source that is never is he's asked about it and he says yeah I have money under my mattress what are you doing it runs out it's not going to run out <laughs> to King of the Hill his most under underappreciated underseen film a film about set in the Great Depression <laughs> that he deals with that Aaron Brockovich he got Julia Roberts an Oscar for talking about how evil corporations can be he traffic is everything traffic yeah. is you know all politics even Ocean's 11 it's, it's Ocean's 11 Ocean's 13 both touch on this Ocean's 11 is how does he hurt the guy he takes away all his money and at the end he's not interested in the money he did it for love mm-hmm. and that's Fascinating that that's the last twist is great. That you realize he's not in it for the money at all. Mm-hmm. Ocean's 13 has that. My favorite thing in Ocean's 13 is that great subplot with Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck where they, they, they go down to a dice making plant in Mexico in order to create the, to create the so loaded dice. Right? Yeah. And they can't, what's going on down there is there is a, there's a complete revolution going on because the workers aren't being paid so they can't mm-hmm. even get in there. Oh, and, I do remember that. And they're trying to figure out how are we going to do this? What are we going to do? Is like, well, what are they asking for? And they figure out and it's like 80 more cents a worker. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so they just pay off this, this, this Mexican plant for us. And they can, it, that's genius. Um, and then he gets Later in his career, more recently, he's addressed this head on in films uh, like The Girlfriend Experience, which is really the film that this might be the closest to okay. in his mm-hmm. filmography. Highly recommend The Girlfriend Experience. Uh, and, uh, Logan Lucky touches on class for sure in very, very distinct ways. Uh, and of course, the other film that really is about capitalism more than anything else is Magic Mike, which is for me a brilliant sort of work film. I really love Magic Mike. I think it's mm-hmm. a, Incredibly underappreciated film. Huge hit. I don't think people realized how smart it was and how much it is really oh, yeah. about. That it's actually a movie. An, it's not. It's about yeah. an artist. Yeah. <laughs> and it is, it is Soderbergh being way more autobiographical and as he has been in all of these films, in The Girlfriend Experience, in Magic Mike, and here, making it very much about, yeah, this is what I go through as an artist. And again, to get more of that, read that deadline article because he lays it out. I will read that in the show because it is good. Yeah. And, and I do feel like, Basketball is a metaphor here almost for the movie making industry. Like, it's, you can't win. It's not here to help an artist. It's here to make money. Yes. And is there a different way to play that game? Which is something he has been in recent years, especially. But I mean, he's done it. Like, Bubble was that way. Yes. It was, I mean, and you look at that, and maybe at the time that looked like a failure. But that is how they do independent films now. They, that is day and date. Yeah, he was the vanguard. He started that. And 
And, and so I, I don't want to count him out on that, but he, he's trying to do so many different, like he did the HBO series last year that was first an iPhone thing. Like you, you could go, <laughs> and I don't really understand how that worked, but you could see different versions of the show edited and then he released it to HBO. And you do get the sense that this is him kind of working his, his, through his own frustrations. Is there a way to kind of disrupt the system? Is Netflix that? Is Hulu that? And I kind of wish the film had pursued that social media and streaming angle a little bit more. I feel like it kind of plays in the end almost just like, I don't know. I don't want to spoil the movie. It feels almost like something they bring up, but then they use as a tool just to keep the status quo going almost. But I, I really loved that idea that he's kind of playing with, is there a way to disrupt this system that we are so used to and we're going to feed money in because it's the way it's already been done? Yes. But he's, you know, we're seeing it be done. I mean, Roma is up for Best Picture. By the time this is released, Roma might have won Best Picture. (laughs) Um, You know, next year could very, very easily, I could see Netflix getting a Best Picture with uh, Scorsese's movie. Yep. And so that's starting to happen, and I, I see that excite, very exciting to kind of see a filmmaker dealing with that, and you kind of see the gears turning in their head. Yeah. It's an incredibly good movie. It's, it's just like, it, it is. is so worth seeing, and it is so, it is why I have loved Soder from the start. It is, he is the most cerebral filmmaker, mm-hmm. while also being a really personal filmmaker. He really does make films he's interested in, and he uses them to talk about things he's interested in thinking about. Yeah, he, he doesn't have an answer all the time. He's just, this is interesting. What's this about? There are a lot of people who like to label kind of he's dispassionate, he's cold. I don't ever find his films cold. I, I don't find him to be an overly emotional filmmaker. He's cerebral. But he, yeah, you you can feel him thinking yeah. through everything. Yeah. And more often than not, he it, it never feels like, you know, didactic or... You know, I'm just going to take you through these and explain this to you. It's fascinating. I mean, he did The Informant, which is a movie that should have bored oh, me Oh, it's years. such a good movie. It is hilarious. Such a weird movie. <laughs> yes. That's a weird movie. Yeah, and visually, you can just... He keeps taking chances visually. I mean, it's not the first movie to be filmed on an iPhone. No. And it's probably not the best-looking movie to be filmed on an iPhone. I mean, Tangerine was filmed on an iPhone. Yeah. But I loved, and he gave it an energy in some moments that, that really made me sit up and take notice. He yeah. does, there's some transitions he does here. Well, he'll, I think it's the end of the first scene. Uh, Andre Holland and the other guy are sitting there talking, and then he just kind of flips the camera up. Yep. The, and, I know the shot you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. and my, like, my heart started being, I'm like, whoa, wow, that's, that's <laughs> getting the adrenaline going. Or there's a scene where he must have just had the phone out and he rushes down the corridor of an airplane. And it is a great, like, it just captures the energy. Even when there's not a lot happening, it gives you the sense that there is so much adrenaline and intelligence and so much going on in the Andre Hallam character. Yeah, I I, I loved it. I loved the color of it. It was bright. A few moments looked a little flat. Some weird angles, but... Uh, and but he that's how that's how Unsane looked too. There are there were angles that were obviously beautifully chosen, mm-hmm. and then there, there were those were like, well, you. Thought this was interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that it works, but you thought it was interesting. You're not wrong, but I don't know that it's helping you any. But yeah, it's, he's playing with the technology and as he plays with his ideas about things, mm-hmm. I, I love him. I'm glad he's working. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
That's all I care about. I want him to keep making movies. Did I anyone think he was going to gonna stop, though? No. I, I mean... No. And I love in that interview, he said, they said, what, why did you come out of retirement? They gave me the script for the Nick. I had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> he's too interested in things not to do this. And I, he's... And I, what I've always loved about Soderbergh, and this is off topic slightly, but it's my favorite quote from him, so I'm going to read it in full. Sure. It's, uh, he's so self-effacing. He understands himself. Mm-hmm. He understands he is this cerebral filmmaker, and that there's some things he's just not good at, that he should be good at, mm-hmm. that he, there is a skill set he does not have. And he gave this wonderful interview, uh, I don't know when it was, three or four years ago at this point, probably, about uh about Mad Max Fury Road. I don't know if you know this quote. I don't know if I do. Okay, you can find this. Mad this Max is Fury my Road. favorite. I, I have lots of favorite Soderbergh quotes. Okay. I literally do. This is my favorite. And so he's talking about trying to direct a film like that. Mm-hmm. And uh this is the quote. I just watched Mad Max Fury Road again last week. And I tell you, I couldn't direct 30 seconds of that. I put a gun in my mouth. I don't understand how George Miller does that. I really don't. And it's my job to understand it. I don't understand two things. I don't understand how they're not still shooting that film. And I don't understand how hundreds of people aren't dead. (laughs) (laughs) So, which is to say that High Flying Bird looks nothing like Mad Max Fury Road. (laughs) It is what Soderbergh does and does very well. Yeah. I I love the idea, too, that if you think back to, like, early 2000s, he could have been, he, like, he had, what was it in a row, like, Traffic, Air Traffic, Air Brockfish are the same year. An Ocean's Eleven. I mean, uh, yeah, coming off that, I think a year later, yeah. I mean, you figure someone comes out like that today, they're instantly beginning a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie. I am so glad that never happened with him. Instead, he's like, I'm going to do full frontal and no one's going to wear makeup and I'm going to film it with a camcorder. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, and does some of these weird projects that... Sometimes don't hit, and sometimes don't, and then sometimes you get a movie out of him, like, out of sight, which is probably my favorite movie he's done. <laughs> yeah. And, and that can stand in his career, and that's another movie about smart people doing their job, and that can stand right alongside something like High Flying Bird, which might, in the end, shape out to be minor Soderbergh, but gosh, give me a filmmaker who that's their minor, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yes, agreed. Yeah. It's, it is... And really, truthfully, if you want to go full out on this, I highly recommend, make it a night, get a copy of The Girlfriend Experience, do that, do Magic Mike, and then do this movie. And you will get the world view of Soderbergh in the best possible way. You will get his take on, you know, how we sell sex, how we, how that affects our interpersonal relations, how we create a business for ourselves, how we attempt to manipulate a system that we can just sort of maybe understand. Sometimes we don't understand it at all. Sometimes we understand it really well. It's, he's so, I just love the man's work. I think he's ceaselessly fascinating. I don't think there is a terrible Soderbergh film. Full Frontal's really hard to sit through. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not saying you should rush out and see all of them. Uh, you know, the, the early stuff before, before out of, after, post sex lies and videotape, pre out of sight, those are all interesting and flawed mm-hmm. movies, except for King of the Hill. King of the Hill's great. Please see King of the Hill. <laughs> Fully recommended from that period. But otherwise, all those films are not great, but they're okay. sure interesting. You can see he's trying and he was still young and he's, a, he's the rare American director 
who has matured and gotten more interesting. It just doesn't happen that often. Yeah, I mean, this would be a film that if it, if it was a debut of someone, I would be like, well, that's interesting. But the fact that he has this energy... Yeah. And he, I don't know how old he is, but he's, he's out there. He's been making films for a long time, 30 Sex years. Sex is 30 years old, assuming he had to have been late 20s, 30 at yeah. the time. He's narrowing in on 60 if he's not there. And this is energetic, and it's kind of experimental. I mean, you don't see a lot of movies about this. No. You know, and and you could have easily filmed this with, like, a good digital camera in two days. And, and he's, I know, he takes an iPhone. And I think the iPhone is actually... Really vital because, A, there is that social media angle to it. Yeah. So I think it plays into that. But also, I just think there is something to be said for the handheld immediacy of being able to chase down the street. There are long shots in the city that are gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not always the biggest fan of digital, but I think it gets it gets city streets very right sometimes. <laughs> Um, I love his work with actors in this. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Zachary Quinto shows up, who is entering a phase of his career where I'm like, oh, it's really interesting when he shows up in something now. He And he's really good in this. Is yeah. he, he shows up in kind of a surprise role halfway through. I didn't know he was in it. Uh, what's weird is I had been watching Kimmy Schmidt a few weeks ago. Oh, and he plays... Love Kimmy He Schmidt. plays into the last season of Kimmy Schmidt. He's hilarious in this, So uh, he has something with Netflix. Um, I, Kyle McLaughlin shows up for like... Two minutes. A little um, more than that. But he's I, I he's like arguably that. like the fourth most important character in the movie. Um, it, I'm trying to think of what was the name of his assistant because I loved her story. <laughs> um, Sam, Zazzy Beats, uh, who I don't know if I've seen her in anything. And she had, she starts off as kind of a minor character. I loved how it played into, you know, her role as a woman in this industry, her relationship with, uh, with one of the players who Ray represents, and then ultimately where her story ends up is really interesting. Yeah. And that final shot, yeah, I want a sequel to it, maybe. Um, <laughs> higher I, I flying like, bird. Higher flying bird. Highest flying bird is the third one. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know if there's more to say about this movie, but what do you think? I know there's a lot of opinions about people kind of turning to Netflix. Do you care one way or the other if people are making movies for Netflix or... Um, you know, this is, this is hard to, this is, uh, this is going to feel funny having this discussion because I feel like it'll be changed no matter, uh, whatever happens with Roma. Sure. Which we'll already know when this goes out, but we don't know when we're recording it. So, I, I've gotten down to this. Uh, as a critic, here's where I, here's, here's where I made peace with this. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if you want me to review the film... Your job is to get me the film in the way you want me to see it. Mm-hmm. So if you want me to see it on a link on a computer, okay. <laughs> yeah. Would I rather see it in the theater? Yeah. But if that's how you're gonna, is that's how you want me to see it? Because for whatever reason, it's the easiest way to get it to me. You think that's how most people will see it? Okay. I kind of lost my my militancy about seeing things in a in, sure. a, in a theater because of that. That said. <laughs> you know, I, w- this gets into the great question of what's a movie? Yeah. <laughs> and that's a very loose thing at this point. We, the, the, the border of that has shifted in ways that it hasn't mm-hmm. in, uh, in the last 10 years. Oh, it's going to keep shifting. And so, does this feel like a movie? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does Roma feel like a movie? Oh, hell yeah. So, no, I don't. 
I don't ding it for that. If financially it can't play in a theater, it can't play in a theater. But I cannot but ask, really, if you shot this with a 35mm camera, you couldn't get this in theaters? I wonder. (laughs) I'm not saying it'd be easy, but I gotta think you could. Yeah. And And, and they did have a small, small, small release. High Flying Bird did. Uh, I think L.A. (laughs) Right. And that's not what we're talking about. But yeah, I mean, uh, actually getting distributed on uh, exactly. 500 screens around the country. Well, here's where I go on it because at first I, you know, I wanted to be the purist. Like, no, I want to go see a movie in the theater. And and I do remember watching Roma on my TV and thinking, I wish I had gotten out to see this in the theater. I the theater. It's beautiful. Yeah, I wish I could have gone <laughs> to beautiful. see it in 70 millimeter because uh, I know a few theaters out here did that. But I, I mean, the thing is. Not a lot of people are going to pay to go see a black and white no. film in a foreign language. But if they start hearing, oh, this is the best movie of the year, and they're paying 10 bucks a month for Netflix, they might take that chance. They might hate it. They, they might not be, you know, that might not be their thing. But people are seeing it, and people are making it. I don't know that a studio would have given, Alf- well, maybe Alfonso Cuaron, because he's made a ton of money for places. But there's going to be... They're going to give the money money required to make that movie. Yeah. They weren't going to give it. (laughs) I mean, Netflix is somehow pocketless. If they want to give filmmakers, you know, free reign to do whatever because all they care about is here's another thing to put on here. I wish they promoted them better, and that's a topic for another day. Well, and I, I will say this, and this is not a new idea by any means. My biggest complaint, and I, I understand that about Roma, and more people will see it than ever. Mm-hmm. But it's it is just it is it is the audience equivalent of shooting on digital rather than shooting with actual celluloid and film. In theater, you got to pay attention. Yes, <laughs> that is true. I, I if I can pause you. No. You know how many people will watch the first 15 minutes of Roma because it's on Netflix? Oh, they're going to turn off when it's just a long shot of dog shit. And maybe somebody, maybe if if a hundred people who turned it off, if one of them would have sat in the theater because, oh God, I came out to the theater, I paid $10, I can't, okay, I'll finish it. I don't know what I don't know what the difference is. I don't know what you sacrifice. I don't know what you gain. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that in a way to imply that it's bad. I'm truly saying I don't know. And that's scary to me. That's what I that's what I hate. Yes, if more people take a chance on it, great. But if it just if it ends in them turning it off after 5 minutes, I don't know what we've accomplished. That's true. And I don't know that there's a lot of people going to seek out High Flying Bird unless they think, "Oh, here's a basketball movie," which they are going to be very disappointed um, <laughs> in that. But but if they say, "Oh, it's a new film for the guy that wrote Moonlight." I'm exactly. totally in and they'll love it. <laughs> yeah, it, I'm sure there's a lot of Netflix users who are like... Absolutely. I hope there are. Um, yeah, I mean, but I'm okay with Netflix releasing movies because I'm a, I'm pretty okay with Marvel releasing two-hour television shows every other month in theaters because <laughs> that's basically what that is, is a two-hour TV show every month. Um, but the question of what is a movie going to change forever, uh, especially I, I've been watching a lot of VR movies lately, and that... That, that, that's an interesting thing that is, I would still classify it more as a game than a movie, but, um. I, I paid $14 to see the movie. I don't want to have to be the cinematographer too. <laughs> <laughs> this is my response. 
I, I'm really curious to know what our audience thinks about this. So if you have an opinion on what Netflix is doing, or you saw High Flying Bird and we got it wrong, or you want to tell us how right we got it, uh, hit us up on Facebook, send us an email, um, tweet at us, you, you know, if, if you want to check us out on iTunes and tell everyone in the comments section how wrong we are, great, just give us five stars <laughs> when you do it. Um, yeah, and that's great. We, we provoked you to think, and that, that's good. Um, so we will be back in two weeks. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep you posted on the Facebook page and everything with what we will be talking about at that point. See ya. Take care.